Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome into another episode of the Grinding True Crime Podcast with your host, Maddie Matt, along with the narrator, Todd Fox, and our other host of the show, Renee. We're here with another episode. Uh, if you guys haven't heard our previous shows, you can find us on our um, page on the Podbean, under Spotify and iHeartRadio. Look us up under the Grinding True Crime Podcast. You can find us there to listen to our other shows if you haven't heard us before. So this week's show is a mystery to me and Renee. We have no idea. Todd's been cooking this one up. I don't know what this one's about. Last week kind of got me a little annoyed. (laughs) This one, let's see how this one is. Take it away, Todd. What you got this week? All right. This story is about one Carlos de Luna. It's uh, Wanda Lopez, though, is uh, going to be the star of the show, or at least in the beginning part. This Wanda is a Lopez. Yeah, this is the kind of story that the victim is not going to be the center of attention. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Wanda Lopez is our victim. She's a single mother of a young daughter. She worked at a, uh, the night shift in a gas station slash convenience store. It was located in a dumpy area of Corpus Christi, Texas, right next door to a dingy strip joint and a couple bars. Working the evening shift, she would often be harassed by local men coming out of the bars that were drunk, looking for more cigarettes, beer, food, whatever that came into the store. I take it she looked very, I take it she looked good, I guess. Uh, (laughs) From our research. Am I jumping up ahead? <laughs> no, from my research, I would have gave her about a 4.5 to a 5 out of 10. Sounds like a no to me. <laughs> she, she was just about uh, average. So. Okay. All right. All right. Sounds good. You but, did say Texas. Yeah. And, 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 <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just joking. And then you got to remember, too, these are drunk men coming out of a bar. So, I mean, anything looks like a 10 at that point. That's true. You got me there. <laughs> Exactly. Even if they don't wear uh, glasses. (laughs) Well, Wanda's dad got tired of all the the inappropriate uh, comments and things and harassment headed towards his daughter's way. So at times he would actually drive down to the liquor store, spend almost the entire shift in his truck watching the liquor store to make sure nothing happened to his daughter. Uh, He would often stay there till she got out of work even. He was that protective of her, and he wanted to make sure she got home all right. She was in her mid to uh, she was in her mid twenties at the time, so mid twenties, okay. So he was. Uh, now you know how now you know how it goes when the, on this show. If you listen to previous episodes, whenever I bring up a date or a time, that's never anything good. Something bad happens. Yeah, something. Bad yeah, happens. I'm ready for it. Okay. <laughs> all right. So it was a cold night on February fourth, nineteen eighty. 1983? Lopez was in the early part of the night shift, about 8 p.m. or 8.05. She was all alone when a gentleman called 911 from outside of the station. He said, can you please come down to 262 South Padre Drive convenience store? I'm looking at a man with a big knife confronting a female clerk. He was standing just outside the store. At the same time, a call also came into 911 from Wanda herself. She said, quote, there is a man with a knife. Operator said he 
Operator said, he, uh, has he tried to hurt you? She said, not yet. And in a concerned voice, she said, he's a Mexican man staring at me with evil eyes. Please send help. This is very <laughs> Yeah, evil eyes. Evil eyes. Big knife just staring at you about five feet from the counter. Time to run. Yeah. But here's where it gets a little odd. Okay. Calmly says, thank you, and hangs up. The call lasted all of 77 seconds. The operator felt it was weird, a weird way how, they, how that call went down, and her attitude didn't give the, the operator the mindset of, this is a priority. She thought maybe it was a phony. Now, at the, okay. Yeah, at the same time, the guy was on the other line with you know, the other operator. Um, the others, uh, let's see, the other caller who was on the phone with 911 was concerned as she hung up. Lopez, the, call, uh, uh, the other caller's line can hear her saying in the background, she was screaming, just don't hurt me. The loud screams went on and then the, the 911 said, uh, finally the, the operator was talking to the guy outside, decided to initiate the police, send the police out. Uh, the, the man then hung up the phone with the operator at the same time uh, Lopez was beginning to get assaulted. That's the man, the man with the knife, right? No, the man, yeah, the man with, with the knife was started to assault Lopez. Who was, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> he jumped the uh, countertop. Lopez was stabbed through the left breast so hard through her lung and the blade protruded out her back. Dang, what kind of blade he got? Big hunting knife, apparently. She would get enough strength to stumble out from the door before collapsing in a pool of her own blood. The intruder went out the back door, hopping the, the wall behind the store. The cops would finally get there, uh, but it was too late. She had died just minutes before they had arrived. The Lopez family arriving uh, would arrive later, hearing that from the neighbors at the gas station that their daughter had worked at was robbed. It was a small city in Corpus Christi, so we're getting out fast. Yeah. Uh, the witnesses had um, the. There was two witnesses there, or no, one of the witnesses um, that came down had uh, said that they saw two people wiping down the sisters' blood, their sisters' blood from the counters and walkways at the entrance of the store. So when the family finally got there. The people that were on the scene were telling them, hey, you know, they're already mopping up the, the crime scene. You know, like like this, this is a freshly, a fresh murder and they're yeah. already like, wiping stuff down. That's unusual. Yeah, that's yeah. very unusual, right? Okay. You got my so, attention. Yeah, so <laughs> the police would uh, find out that the motorist by the name of Kevin Baker witnessed the entire incident while he was pumping gas. When Baker rushed in after she was stabbed, he, he told police the man threatened him with a gun, left out the back, and climbed the wall headed north. Baker said the man was five, uh, Mexican 5'8", 170 pounds, 23 years old, dark black hair, and he looked like a drifter and had beat up, a beat-up flannel on. That's the best description somebody can make, man. He nailed it to the T. <laughs> good, right? Man. <laughs> If I'm the cops, I'm like, that's a pretty damn good uh, description. Yeah. Um, the police would also have the other witness who was on the phone uh, that was there, a 911 uh, guy uh, that also called 911, Alex Meyer. He described to the police that he saw the same man lurking outside the store, 
prior to the attack with a beard. So he was already scoping out the joint before all this went down. And then, but the problem is nobody confronted the dude. No one called the cops prior. It was at the last minute when Kevin called 911. You could hear the screams in the background. What? Okay. So he said he watched as he took the knife out and then put it in his belt and walked into the store. But police couldn't figure out why he had the same description and saw the man with a knife, but did not try to warn her or instead of doing anything, just remain outside. So that's the second hmm. guy. After getting the description of the suspect, police, yeah, I agree. Yeah, police now had very good idea of who they were looking for. Who they looked like. Right? Yeah. So as they scoured the area, they, uh, after getting the description of the suspect, once again, the police swarmed the area to find Carlos de Luna under a parked car without a shirt on. The police uh, would bring him in to identify, or the police would bring the two people in to identify the suspect. The ones that saw the, uh, the murder and the suspect fleeing the area, they all identified him as the suspect, despite no blood on any, on any part of his clothing that he was wearing. How could that be with the blood, or how could that be with the blood at the crime scene? Mr. DeLuna didn't have one drop of blood on him or any wounds from a knife. Okay, I got a question. So, did this suspect have a mask on? How were they able to identify him so precisely? Did was did he have a mask or anything? No, he had no mask on. Oh, okay, all right. And they got a pretty good description of him. He just, you know, walked just in there. Him. Yeah. Gotcha. Then they found Deluna under the car hiding. Gotcha. So the, and, and so he matched the description of all of all the witnesses over there. Mm. And not a drop of blood on him. Not a drop of blood. Very and he had no, no, no something fishy. <laughs> it is pretty fishy. So police asked him why he was hiding under the car. He was he said he was really scared because he just got out on a par, uh, on parole. He should have said he was changing his oil, man. <laughs> <laughs> he was laying flat on his stomach, so. Oh, okay. You can't change your oil. Yeah, you can't do that. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> he said he just got out of jail and was violating probation by being out so late at night. Meanwhile, detectives processed the crime scene, which was very, very bloody. They found shoe prints, a piece of gum, and a hair, and a cigarette butt. Yet all these pieces of evidence were deemed unusable due mm. to contamination. Mm. Meaning those people that came in there to clean up. Yep. This stuff. They messed with the yep. yep. So with that being said, also would later find out that uh, the owner of the gas station wanted business as usual as soon as possible. So he started right away? Started right away. Wow. So the the actual convenience store was closed all of an hour and 15 minutes. Are you serious? Yes. Yo, they didn't shut it down for the night? No. Stop it. There was, <laughs> there was detective? a No, man, the, de the detective should have came by and said, hey, shut it down. Yeah, they, sh they should have never let the cleaning crew in there. They should have said, shut it down. This is a crime scene. Yep. Process everything and then... And only then. And they can clean it. Yeah. So you, you know the rules, Todd. <laughs> that's, a, that's a severe violation in my book. Okay. So um, there was blood evidence, though, that was preserved. Okay. But it was not tested. 
and there was $146 missing from the cash register. So That's despite, it? Yeah, so despite all this, later that evening, the cops were congratulating themselves, saying, good job, Johnson. <laughs> the fact that the murder was solved in only 40 minutes. In the car. I think that's their guy. In the car. <laughs> Carlos continued to say he was innocent. Okay. He was saying he knew who committed the murder, who was Carlos Hernandez, who was sitting at the bar across the street. He witnessed him run in there and stab Wanda, and then uh, he hid when he heard the cops because he didn't want to get in trouble. The cops just looked at him and said, this guy. <laughs> they just laughed at him because DeLuna had a long rap sheet of past offenses and arrests so he seemed like a likely suspect he was first arrested at the age of 15 mm -hmm. and in his teenager years he was uh, arrested for robbery auto theft, drugs, drinking as a minor and he also had addiction to sniffing glue mm. in 1980 he was convicted mm. of attempted rape and robbery he served two years in prison, was released in 92. Now, this is the one they already have in custody, right? So he already had a rap sheet. Okay. But when he went to trial uh, for the murder of Wanda Lopez, his, def his defense, uh, defensive attorneys uh, brought Carlos Hernandez as a defense claiming it was Hernandez and not himself. However, the jury didn't buy it. The shock value of the 911 tapes and the witness testimony, DeLuna was dead before he knew it. And was and was convicted of a uh, convicted with no physical evidence and sentenced to death on capital murder charge. What? Yes, Damn, that's... capital murder. Something smell fishy, man. <laughs> but here's the thing. Now here's 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 what in the nineteen early nineteen eighties okay, and would be brought up later on. Okay. Wanda Lopez sounds like what? Wanda Lopez sounds like a Spanish woman. Nope. White woman. Yep. Lopez? Lopez. White as day. She's married to a Spanish guy. Yes. Okay. So, Honestly, when you said Wanda, I was thinking a black lady. So you kind of threw me off all. <laughs> yeah. So you would think, okay, even in Texas, I know they're stricter, but had she been a minority, do you think you yeah. get capital murder? If she was a minority, nah. Exactly. So that plays a big part of this. Yeah. So at this point, he keeps writing his family, depressed, saying he was crying himself to sleep every night because he gets convicted. Okay. It's only a year later, too. So he's not even like, you know, so he goes straight to death row. Dang. Yeah, his lawyers were filing appeals. Now, this is not, okay, he had the prior stuff of the attempted rape and then so can't sit here and say this dude was a, a perfect angel yeah but usually when you get capital murder it's you know you've murdered before yeah you've got you've gotten away with it or you've gotten out and now you know you you offended again you caused the biggest sin that's it yeah yeah i didn't have that kind of rap sheet um so again um his lawyers were filing appeals to racial discrimination the lack of evidence in 1986 just 12 hours before his execution. Now, this is Texas going to murder this dude in three years. He only had three years. Dang. Dang. He, he got a stay of execution at the, you know, 12 hours before. And they granted him another trial, another look at the evidence, another, you know, because they, they realized, okay, there's, 
something's fishy here. We need to take mm-hmm. them, run them through the ringer again. Okay. Um, so three years later, um, you know, he's, you know, uh, no. So time goes by the, the, um, he, he gets that stay of execution. They go back to trial. They again, find him guilty. They and this is, no, so he was on death row for three years. Yeah. And then he got, and then this, they went back to retrial. Yeah. They went to retrial a few years later. He got pinned again with death row. They want this man dead. <laughs> yeah. With no evidence. So so fast forward to 1999, he's up again for for mur- uh, for the death penalty. Okay. And a new trial was not granted. A new trial was not warranted. Deluna talked to the priest and said he never had a father figure. He got really close with this one priest and began talking with him and and confessing all his prior sins, but never confessing the murder. The, the warden of the prison told the priest to, tell, to, to try to get it out of him because the warden felt that, you know, he needed to cleanse his sins, you know, get it, out of, get it off your mind. You know, you'll be better for it. You're going to pay the price, blah, blah. Yeah. He began to get a really good rapport with the priest. Uh, the, you know, not having a father figure, he would ask him to call him father or daddy, something to, to calm his nerves. <laughs> and they talked a lot. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not in that way. Not, no, 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 I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, he's called him daddy. He said him, sir. So the Reverend spent three hours with DeLuna every day, telling him about his past, talking about things. He felt that he was a stepfather to, to DeLuna. The priest started to feel really, you know, um, sad for him and also uh, just to be on his side. He was, he was, he was uh, being there for him. Yeah. Um, after, uh, let's see, let's see, let's fast forward here. So he still tried to get the the uh, stuff the he still tried to get him to confess to it. He kept saying he was never a part of that. It was the other guy he saw him, and it just it never it never went anywhere. So as the re- relationship with him and the priest continued, it became closer and closer to execution day. On the day of the execution, uh, the executioners took him from the cell. They strapped him to the gurney. He was crying and holding the priest's hand the entire time. They asked him if he had any last words. He said that he was innocent, that he loved his family, and he holds no regrets towards anybody. He thanked the priest for being his final friend and being his father figure. They, they uh, then put a needle in his arm and breathe slowly. Now, Correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but how long is it supposed to be when they put a needle in your arm that you pass away? About 20 minutes, 30 minutes, right? Shorter than that? It's supposed to be 30 seconds to a minute. When you when you lose consciousness and then your heart starts to go down, you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to feel a thing. Okay. Um, so they put the needle in his arm. The priest began to cry. He started to cry. He looked at the priest. He began to breathe slowly. He had promised, the priest had promised him that when the execution was going to go down, he was going to be with God. It was going to be fast. It was going to be painless. No more. Deluna's head rose and began to look at the priest. He tried to say something. The priest could not understand what he was saying. His head kept going up and down for minutes on, on, on end. They didn't know whether to give him another shot or what to do. He continued to struggle. The priest to this day says that he's haunted by the last 
few moments of, of uh, DeLuna's life because he knows he was in pain and he feels that like he was trying to tell him, you lied to me. Dang. It took 11 minutes before DeLuna took Dang. his life. Yep. The priest stayed with him the whole time, rubbing wow. his calf and his, his hand because he had to move from his upper body to his lower body because they kept trying to hold him down the entire time. Well, the story doesn't end there. That was stacked up, man. Yeah. That's everything. Yep. Now, you remember, you remember um, in one of the other stories, we talked about the Stainer brothers, about the Innocence Project and all that other stuff. That they, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, part of that, part of that uh, Innocence Project is finding out those who have been wrongfully accused and those who, um, you know, find justice for those that can't defend themselves. Mm-hmm. And ABC7, along with a few lawyers, and it was in Texas, and the Chicago Tribune, the newspaper, were looking into maybe wrongful um, executions mm-hmm. over the years. Mm-hmm. Came across this story. The police and the news found out that after looking at the case years later in 2006, that DeLuna was indeed innocent. What? The entire time while DeLuna was on death row, Hernandez family remained silent. This is Carlos Hernandez. Remember remember that guy? He said, no, no, no. It was the other Carlos. Not yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hernandez, not DeLuna. Yeah. The entire time the Hernandez family knew about the, the murder, yeah. Hernandez himself had bragged about it and had a violent history, including stabbings of many people similar to the Lopez murder. Over the years, he had told people that he had did the murder and no one said anything or believed him. Wow. So all this time, he didn't got away with it. And got away with it. The real one. Yeah, the real Hernandez. Yeah. Hernandez would often tell people his lookalike, which his, uh, his, his lookalike took the uh, fall for what he did. And if you look at the pictures, which I'll post later on, mm-hmm. uh, Identical dude. Like twins. Dang. Really? Um, And um, they looked almost like twins. And it was just bad luck that Deluna had been there at the same exact time and place that the murder had happened. Carlos Hernandez had a long rap sheet, including convictions for DUI, where he killed a passenger in a DUI. And also, he had been convicted several times for convenience store robbings but only received five years. He was found guilty for killing his ex-girlfriend, but was released for lack of evidence later on. Oh, (laughs) wow. (laughs) And he stabbed her with a big hunting knife as well, while carving an X into her back. That sounds sounds very convincing, dear Todd. (laughs) How is it that he continued to slip through the the cracks? Hernandez had dodged the law his entire the entire time. Four years after the murder of Lopez, he was arrested twice after the murder of his wife by an axe, but only an received axe? yeah, but an only axe? received six months in jail. As again, the evidence fell through. Hernandez was arrested for stabbing a, a Texas girl uh, in 1999 or no, 1996. I'm sorry. That he went to jail for, he would only last three years in jail. Why? Because he died in 1999 of cirrhosis of the liver. 
Wow. So in 2012, ABC7 and the courts of Texas uh, would exonerate DeLuna for innocence and Hernandez as the official murderer uh, long after both deaths of uh, both men. They would go on to find Hernandez was there and used a similar knife. And afterwards and before the murder, Lopez, uh, murder of Lopez, plus the testimony that he bragged to his family and friends that he was a part of uh, the guilty party and they murdered the wrong guy. Wow. And to top it off, another FU to the DeLuna family, no financial compensation was ever uh, oh. That's jacked up right there. That's you can't kill me and then not take care of my family. But nah, nah, nah. Yeah. <laughs> That's jacked up. Yeah. Well, that that was that was the murder. That's the case, man. Dang. Okay. All right. Let's hear your comments. Number one, who are the jurors on that jury? You got to get rid of them. They should never serve ever again. There's no way you could convict somebody without no evidence. Well, that's they took the testimony of those two two uh, people that supposedly witnessed the whole thing, and they also took the testimony uh, or the um, they heard the nine one one tapes. You can go online to hear the nine one one tapes, mm -hmm. and you can hear her screaming in the background. But all you can make out is is I gave you all I had. Please leave me alone. And then she starts screaming. That's how good the the phone call was. From Dang. Yeah. And but, I still have it. Because they called from a payphone just outside the gas station. The guy was like okay. looking right into the freaking gas station. They didn't have surveillance? No, this is 1982 or 83. 80, okay. It was like an infancy. No, I, don't even, no need to ask if they had camera phones either. <laughs> Not at all. Well, that's jacked up, man. I mean, okay, you killed the innocent. Well, he wasn't really innocent, so to speak, but he didn't do this crime. And then you don't even take care of the family. You basically say, oh, well. Yeah. Like, oh, well, we made a mistake. Yeah, and this is after um, he died at, like, at 44 years old. So he was still a young guy. And like I said, like, uh, he wasn't a saint or nothing. But he didn't deserve to die. No. And, you know, um, the other guy was just stabbing people left and right. And also something I left out when he was in prison, he got into many fights and stabbed a few inmates. This, this guy was a stabber. Oh, he was a stabber. Uh, yeah, a stabber. But I, I still can't believe how the bumbling idiots of Texas, like they got, they just let him fall through the cracks. I mean, he could, he killed two other people. Yeah. And didn't get jacked for it. Like, and they're all, they were all similar to that yeah. murder. Yeah. Wow. Well, good thing that was 83 and not 2020. Yep. Yeah. Cause that, that was some bogus stuff. Oh, it sure yeah. was, man. So last year, 2019, was the 20th anniversary of him being put to death for something he didn't do. Wow. Yep. Well, that one's whack. That one's whack. <laughs> <laughs> now, 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 Todd, your detective mind must have went out when you heard that they wiped off the scene, right? Oh, was pissed. That was yeah. Why would they let him in? The, the guy, the owner of the gas station was so money hungry, he's like, I got to reopen this store. And that's what he did. He's all like, yeah, there's a dead body in the front, but don't worry about it. Come buy these liquors. <laughs> <laughs> hey, 50 cents off the Slurpees while that blood's on the floor. <laughs> She's like, they're like, my Slurpee got red in it. That's just flavor. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> He's like, I didn't know you guys had strawberry Slurpees. He's like, oh, you don't do? We, yeah. 
That's cold-blooded, man. That's cold-blooded. But, um, I mean, in a sense, he died, the guy who actually did it. Yeah, but he was able to live his life, man. Yeah. But, yeah. And laugh at the cops and the dude that Basically, died. a big F you. Like, that guy served my, my time and served my death. That's jacked up. He felt every minute of it. Yep, sure did. That's dang. Bad well, way to go. I have a secondary story if you want to hear. I think we have time. What's the What's the secondary story? This is the butcher of Plainfield. Ooh, sounds like a knife attack again. This is sounds the, like it, right? Because it's his butcher. Man, <laughs> this, this is the one. This is the one that uh, I've been I've been hinting at for a couple weeks. Okay. <clears throat> uh, this is Ed Ging. Uh, to take a look back at Ed, we have to start with his childhood. He was born mm. on August 26, 1906. So this takes... 1906? Yeah, this goes back a bit. Woo! <laughs> so in La Crosse, Wisconsin, small town. Okay. His father was often unemployed machine, uh, machine shop worker, an operator. Okay. His mother was a devout, a devout Catholic Lutheran at the church. Ed was often bullied in school. Reason being because he had a huge growth over his eye. They would call him names. His parents all often argued about stuff in front of him, including his schooling and others. Hold on, I'm going to get my notes here. There we go. Anton, you've been doing some good research, man. He went back to the 1906. Right. This guy's famous for a reason. You'll find out. Okay. Um. So anyway, he had the growth over his eye. His parents would argue about the, what the, uh, the, his school, his grades, about the bullying he endured, and about other things, about the mortgage related. Because they lived on a farm, a 220-acre farm, dude. Dang. A big farm. And they moved out there because the family just did not like the city life. Okay. Um, his, uh, the arguments would sometimes get very uh, demeaning and argumentative to where the father would uh, tell the wife, Augusta, that he wanted to cheat on her in front of the kids. Mm. Ed had a brother, Henry, older brother. They got into they got into violent times too, uh, punching and kicking in front of the kids. Ooh. And uh, out loud, Augusta, the wife, would often pray that the father would get ill and die. <laughs> that's a pretty. Well, that's a loving family right there. <laughs> there. Yeah, yeah. Say, <laughs> like, I wish you just die. Well, I mean, what do they say? Specific in your prayer, it'll be friends. <laughs> she loved him. <laughs> yeah, she loved him some him. Um, I love her some him. Um, he also hated other women. And he was, hated other women. No, the mother, the mother. Oh, okay, okay. That's that. That sounds like that makes sense. Yeah, she hated other women so much that she was domineering with her sons and would tell them that men or that women, other women, were the devil. And to stay away from them and chastise them anytime her two sons made any kind of friends with anyone of the opposite sex. Okay. She sounds sound kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and, she, <laughs> and she said that they were painted scarlets, makeup with short skirts. Wow. Looking to defile young men. So when Ed was 12, he was in the bath and she walked in on him experimenting with himself. Let's just say that. Wow. Good she, way of saying it. Yeah. She poured, she took some hot water though, like any good mother, and that was boiling on the uh, on the stove and poured it on his genitals. Woo! <laughs> Let me tell you something, man. Let me tell you something. 
You gotta go. <laughs> she has to go. Now you would think at that moment that she crossed the line and I hate you mom would be uttered out of his mouth any chance that he got. Oh yeah. Not so much. Uh, she would tell him after pouring that on his genitals that um, it's a curse of a man to do that. Whew. And so despite all this, his brother Henry would often question the relationship because Ed worshipped his, his mom despite the cruelty. So later on in the farm, young Ed snuck, in, uh, snuck into a um, barn where his mom and dad were slaughtering a pig. They had it upside down on those hooks. Yeah. They split it down the oh, middle. They were, yeah, they are pulling the guts out. Oh, ooh. Yeah, and they were putting it into a tray and whatnot, cutting it up and whatever. He began to get aroused. She caught what? him. Yeah, she caught him in the barn and beat the crap out of him. But it was a turning point for him because he just, it, it changed him at some point. So young, you know, he's a, you know, young teenager, you know, like for some reason, this was something to him. It was a sexual moment for him. That's gross. So, yeah, so he had an awkward upbringing, dropped out of high school, wasn't the smartest tool in the shed, did a lot of side jobs, worked on the farm. He began to, he began to have a, a suffer a, a series of unfortunate family events. The first of the deaths in the family would be his father, Ed, uh, um, when, when Ed was approaching his 30s, his father died suddenly of a heart attack. Ed and Henry continued to work on the farm and work to make little extra money in town because of their father's death. Henry later would uh, get with a single mother, his older brother, would get with a single mother in town and want to marry her. They dated for a little bit, but Ed and his mom were strangely against it. She wanted the boys to herself. Just a few weeks later, after proposing to the girl, Henry died of mysterious circumstances, his older brother. This prompted a lot of people to think that Ed and his mother were behind it. There was a fire at the farm, and one of the buildings was on fire. There was late at night, both him and his brother went out there to put out the fire. He would later tell uh, Fire, uh, fire and police when they showed up or they, when the police showed up that he couldn't find his brother. He lost track of him. The funny thing was and suspicious thing was when the firefighters came there to put out the fire after the police had got there, he took them right to the body. Hmm. So the police were like, wait a minute. How did, you, how did you just tell us that you had no idea where your brother went and then we find him? You know, the firefighters. Yeah. My senses is coming up. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you, you're focused. Yeah, I'm sensing something. Oh, and here's, here's the other thing. Let's see if Detective Maddie would pick up on this. When the police okay. found the body of his brother, he had blood, blunt force trauma to his head and suspected he was beaten before dying in the fire. Mm. The coroner the next day, though, ruled it an asphyxiation. Mm. So he... What he did, obviously, I mean, if me and you are the corner, he beat himself over the head with a hammer. Yep. And then he knocked out because of flames, you know, and then he asphyxiated on the smoke. That's what happened. That's basically what happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who's running these towns? Hey. <laughs> I guess. A bunch of Eli's. 
So let me guess. He fell asleep for a long time and just didn't smell the smoke and just died like that. He was fighting the fire, and then he's like, wait a minute. What am I fighting this fire for? I'm going to take a nap in these flames. That's bad. So, so for years to come, people uh, speculated that jealousy over his brother caused him to kill his brother, but no one had any proof. Just a few months later, though, the third tragedy of Ed would, would be his mother's failing health. On December 29th, 1945, his mother died of a stroke at the age of 65. At the funeral, he cried and wept really loud. He was all alone with no family at the age of 39. At this time, he began to stop working in town and he stopped showering and shaving. He looked looked very disheveled. The farm was not being kept up and uh, up to date, so it began to have overgrown weeds and the house began to fall apart. He tried to make friends, but everyone saw him as odd and he stayed away from him, of course. Not in a shower. Yeah, you're gonna smell like that. Yeah, especially back in '45. Uh-uh. Yeah. <clears throat> so he started. Uh, he then started to read a lot of true crime books about Very interesting about cannibals and. So the more that he was alone, he dreamed about his mom, and he was severely depressed. He dreamed about his mom, and he was uh, where uh, when she was uh, or she would come to him in his dreams. And she and he would get really scared and depressed, and yeah, he began to go to her her gravesite and just stay out late at night visiting. I'm suspecting, I'm suspecting something that was a little more than just him being his mom. <laughs> Maybe he began to wish her back to life. Wow, but obviously that didn't happen. So one night he just said, "Let me get a shovel." He dug his mom's body out of the grave and took it home. What? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And that man's that man's off his cuckoo. <laughs> yep. So weeks later, a woman by the name of Eleanor Williams died. She was a middle-aged woman just like his mom. He dug her up too and removed her head and genitalia. What? He would do this to several women over the years that died around his mother's age. Following me so far? Yep, I'm getting it. <laughs> this guy is sick. Yep. Very, very sick. So this next part is very graphic. <laughs> I, I figured. <laughs> so, I guess, um, I guess he um, decided to get into the des- the clothes designing business. Mm-hmm. He made a belt out of nipples strung together and uh, also made a wearable skin of a vest using the corpse's chest and back skin. That's... And wore it around the house. Wow. He was later asked why he did these things and stated it brought him closer to his mother. Some speculated that he wanted to be... uh, Where I leave off on that? That he wanted to uh, be a woman. Wow. Yeah. An older woman. Yeah. So later on, um, he would also, he would also make, uh, I won't get into the description of it, but he would use the female genitalia for certain things. Kept them in jars. Salted. Don't ask me why the salted. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
So he later on for amusement, huh? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so in town, he would run into a female bartender by the name of Elizabeth Hogan. She resembled his mother uh, to a T, except she was she was foul mouthed, which his mom was, you know, clean cut Lutheran. Mm-hmm. He was fascinated by her. He spent almost every night and day at the bar. On December fifth, nineteen fifty four, as I mentioned, a date. A man walked into the bar and saw a puddle of blood. There was a revolver bullet on the floor, but nobody. People theorized later that Ed stayed in the bar until everyone left, shot Elizabeth, and took her body. But at the time, they had no evidence. After she was missing, people often joked with Ed that the amount of time he spent with her at the bar, he should have just courted her for marriage before she went missing. He would then often choke back that she wasn't missing and that she was at his home. <laughs> and people were like, ah, you're just being weird. <laughs> he told him right then and there. <laughs> so one time he invited the neighbors who lived a mile or two down the road to his house, asking them if they wanted to trade their one acre of land and their house for Ed's entire dilapidated, well, 220 acres of land plus his dilapidated house. Um, what happened was they said, well, this is a little weird. You're going to give us 220 acres of land. That's, that's, that's a, lot, a of land. lot of land. Yeah. <clears throat> but he never gave a reason why. So in one of the rooms, the woman went to go use the restroom, but she walked into one of the rooms that had five shrunken heads, real heads lying on a table and when she confronted him and asked him where the, you know where he's from he said that his brother was in the war in the philippines and they had cannibals over there that would take human heads and shrink them and he brought a few of them back for ed to keep this didn't make sense because his brother had been dead before the war mm -hmm. so obviously they went to the police and the police, uh, over the last couple of years, had uh, had problems with missing people in town. Several people in the community had become had uh, began to go missing. In 1947, for example, there's an eight-year-old named Georgia Welker who went missing. A 43-year-old Victor and his hunting buddy Travis went missing in the fields in the, in the Plainfield in 1952. Then in 1953, a 15-year-old a girl went missing. All four of their bodies were never found. And in 1957, um, he shot his second victim, Bernice. This is the one he got caught with a 22 caliber rifle. He was actually witnessed uh, shooting her as she resembled his mother as well. Mm -hmm. um, they figured that uh, when he was arrested later from the tip that the police got about seeing Ed close to the hardware store where she had worked, um, on that night of August 16, 1957, the sheriff was horrified when they went to go search Ed's house. Now, this is after she worked. She worked at a hardware store. He scoped her out. He shot her, took her body back to the house. And, well, the rest, he was, I guess, carving her up at that time or whatever, right? Mm. But when the detective came, the sheriff would be horrified to his dying day when he found the five shrunken heads, get this, skulls or soup bowls that were made out of skulls. What? Yeah. Oh. 
and skin decorated furniture. What? Yeah, uh, like couches uh, and chairs. Really? Yeah. Yo. Even yeah. Matt, you even Matt the shivers, man. <laughs> man. How you get that much skin? Yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of. <laughs> that's a lot of skin. Yep. So Detective uh, Shaloff, which was the one that originally found it, uh, went to the jail cell that night. Began pushing around, even physically beating him, trying to get a convict. Uh, 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 what's that called? Confession or just him show any kind of remorse or feeling. He wasn't showing any kind of emotion. He was just, take, he was just taking the beating. Yeah, just taking the beating. And back then you could beat a witness or whoever you wanted to. Oh, yeah. Ed remained quiet with no expression on his face. Two days later, he just opened up and talked about everything. He exclaimed that uh, he just uh, shot his last victim as she was leaving the store, saying it was all a blur. He described that he, well, what he did with the body after. He took her into his truck, uh, drove her home, took her to his farm, hung her upside down from the hills in the woodshed, and then began to carve her up. Dang. Then he would later admit to the murder of Mary Hogan when uh, when he found her face uh, lying in, oh, <laughs> he would admit to the murder of Mary Hogan. Remember the first girl that he killed? The first girl. Well, he took off her face. Like, the skin or just the head or what? Skin from all around. What? He would wear it around his house. The detectives actually found the, the skin face that he used to walk around the house in a, um, with lipstick around it. They found it preserved and in this little like jar type thing. That's cool. Yo, this man's satanic, dude. <laughs> Yes. He would wear his face mask. Um, this detail was the inspiration for the movie of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Okay. Yeah. So after confessing to these two murders, the shrunken heads, the grave robbing, he didn't have a lawyer, and that would come up later in, in his trials because they would use that as they never Mirandized him, they never gave him a chance to seek legal advice. The media went crazy and began to... Um, to realize that he probably ate some of his victims as well, which he would later admit to and then retract. So he did partake in some cannibalism as well. I believe it. Um, he denied those rumors off and on. It was just, you know, a couple of the police officers believed that he never dug up the body parts of the graves because the graveyard at the time in Wisconsin, that's hard to dig up. They never saw, they asked the people that worked at the graveyards, like, you know, he's probably guilty of these other murders and the bodies of those four victims. That's where all the skin, that's where all that stuff came from. There's no way he could have dug all that stuff up because the ground is too hard. You know what yeah. I mean? You can't get through that. So they all testified against it. But um, what do you call it? The police weren't totally convinced. So the police were like, you know, just there's a woman that died that's buried not too far from the, his mother. Let's dig her grave up. And let's see if she's in her casket, you know, just on a hunch, right? Yeah. And maybe she, he matched, or she matched the description of what he liked. When they went to go dig her up, though, the casket was cracked. And there was, uh, they go to take the cover off, and there's a crowbar. And no body in there. He had dug her up. They got him. Yeah. <laughs> they knew it. So, it, uh, 
with all these findings, the polygraph test in 1957, the charges of four missing people were dropped, though. <clears throat> the two murders were upheld, and he was charged with those, and the abuses of the corpses and grave robbings. He pleaded insanity in, in January 6, 1958. Mm, he was crazy. Do you give that to him? <sighs> no, I would probably get, throw the book at him. I don't care. Well, yeah, I'm throwing the book at him. That's too much, man. Hey, too many bodies on his hand. He was sued by a lot of the victims of the graves that he robbed and also uh, the, the, uh, the two murdered victims. His estate wound up paying for everything or most of the fines. Uh, every six months, he was evaluated and stand trial to, to see if he was um, legally sane to stand trial. He never was. He was quoted as saying he loves the uh, hospital he's in, three meals a day. He gets to work as a carpenter's apprentice. And uh, he has several games with several of the inmates there. And it was really relaxing at that state-run facility, psychiatric ward. Wow. Um, That's why I don't understand, man. Yeah. He got all that stuff, and then he, he, gets, he, he gets, gets away a little easy. Oh, yeah. It's easy, yeah. And uh, so they asked him what happened. He stuck to the fact that he would initiate stuff, but when he saw blood, he just blacked out and his body took over. The pro prosecution <laughs> tried over and over to prove that he was sane. Three different times in three different cases, they tried to get him up. But every time, he'd have weird behavior, and the psychiatric uh, people, officials, and the doctors continued to find him insane. So at the hospital, he lived a good life, very comfortable. <laughs> and in 1974, he had another hearing trial. He seemed pretty comfortable in the case. Three different doctors in their testimony tried it again. In the end, he was found insane, avoiding the, the uh, death penalty because he would have went to death or he would have been put to death had he went to trial. So he avoided that year after year after year after year till his death in July 26, 1984. And he is now buried next to his mom in Plainfield, uh, Wisconsin. Wow. And uh, his uh, partaking of the body parts was later the inspiration for the movie Silence of the Lambs. Wow. Dang. So that's it. He was the original Hannibal Lecter. Yep. The Hello Kitty. <laughs> These are two cases that piss you off, Dang, right? man. Oh, this last one did. This last one for sure. The first one, yeah, it could bother me, but, you know, they both were, you know, he, he had a past life, so... Yeah, but this one right here? Took the camera. Dude, how you do that, man? That's all I don't get, man. You do all these crazy things. You kill all these people and then you, oh, I'm insane. And then they, okay, well, he didn't mean to do it. Nah, I'm with you, man. Throw the book at him. Yeah, because, I mean, they figured, okay, no saint man would do the things that he did. But you don't know that. I mean, this could have all been a game that he played, and then he knew he was going to get caught. So when he gets caught, screw it. You know, I'll use that. He's insane. And he lived. Think about it, man. He was arrested in uh, what '57, around there. Seven. Yeah, and you're talking about almost uh, 30 years. He lived in a place where he didn't have to worry about working. He had food. He got he got to learn trades. Probably finished school. It was a relaxed, insane asylum. You know what I mean? Yeah. He had privileges and everything, man. You're like basically a model, a model prisoner in there. And those other four people never found, they never found the bodies of those other four Probably people. ate them. They're in his stomach. <laughs> <laughs> Go check his local toilet. He wrapped it, 
<laughs> he got a. That's the, he left the other's DNA in the toilet, apparently. Man. Yeah, that one pissed me off. That one, yeah, that one, that one. You punk. You've been telling me about this story for a long time, man. You a punk. <laughs> I know that, that whole thing that they did with the animals. I know that because my family does that when they kill lamb. Mm-hmm. Like to I, I know that already because yeah. I was, the Reyes I, family. I, I watch, watch it's gonna be another episode of the Reyes family. Watch. <laughs> I've seen it happen. Like I was ten years old. I've seen it happen. <laughs> see, see if if Todd comes up missing, R- yeah. Renee. <laughs> that's crazy, man. Yeah, that's insane. But imagine being like. Just like in the movie, I don't know if you've seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Where I have not actually. I actually saw the new one. I didn't see the old one. Okay. The new one, like he actually he, he hooks him on the meat hook, but like from the back though. But the, the way he would do it is he'd put it from the legs or whatever. He'd put two hooks in the legs and hold them upside down, just gut him like a fish or like a pig. <coughs> That's, That's crazy. Yep. Treat him like right, like an animal. Yeah, pretty much, dude. So that's Ed Ginn Jr. Yeah, Ed Ginn Jr. can kiss it. <laughs> that's sacked up, man. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. Yeah. Screw you, Todd. <laughs> I'm telling you, there's rare times we have winners in these stories. There's no winners. There is no. There's no winners in this one. Or the other one as well. No. None. I get the only winner here was the Salem Hospital. That was about it. <laughs> yeah. Or actually, it was the winner was Ed because he got to live a long life. Yeah, yeah, that that's true. That is true. In a sense, he did win. He took, so. it, he took all the other stuff to his grave. Like, you know, like he, the real stuff that got out because there's probably more atrocities we don't even know about, dude. How you wear somebody's face, man? That's that's the real coronavirus right there. <laughs> He took a mask to a whole nother level. <laughs> Man. It was the Hannibal and the, and the Texas Chain. It was all inspired by that. Yep. Yep. Jeez. Dang it, Todd. Are <laughs> you going to give him nightmares? He's going to text you. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you right now. If I have a dream of my face getting chowed up, I'll come to your house. <laughs> I'll come to your house, Todd. I'm trying to tell you right now. <laughs> Man, well, that was our episode of the Grinding True Crime podcast with our very good narrator, Todd Fox, breaking down two stories today. You guys got a treat. Uh, Me and Renee commentating on there in the background. If you guys like what you hear, you can find us on uh, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Podbean. Look us up under the Grinding True Crime podcast. So, this was our this was this week's episode. Next week is gonna be a treat as well. I'm quite sure Todd's gonna to screw something up and, and <laughs> piss me off again. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, he's gonna make us mad again. That's what he does, man. And that's a good narrator right there. If you can make if he makes your feelings boil in the story, you did good. Appreciate it, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> Good, good stuff, Todd, man. Seriously, you do good, bro. Real talk. But uh, that's it, you guys. This is your boy, Maddie Matt, signing off. Board our narrator. Todd Fox. And our other host of the show. Grenade. 
So checking in next time, you guys. Have a good one. Yeah.